It is said that in less than 10 years, there will be about a quarter of a million more people living in Wake County than there are today. Can you imagine that? We can. This is the Imagine Wake podcast. The Imagine Wake initiative was started by the Home Builders Association of Raleigh, Wake County, to bring about a community-wide discussion on the future and growth of Wake County. Through this, we hope to develop some common understandings on what it will take to provide for and welcome our future neighbors. Welcome to Imagine Wake. All right, here we are. This is uh, Paul Kane, the Executive Officer for the HBA of Raleigh-Wake County, the uh, force behind Imagine Wake, and here with our latest podcast episode. And uh, glad to have with us today Joe Malazzo with the Regional Transportation Alliance. So let's, before we get into the Regional Transportation Alliance, let's get into Joe Malazzo. Happy to do it. First of all, thanks for having me on here today, Paul. Appreciate what you do and appreciate the opportunity to connect about business and transportation in this growing region. Absolutely. That's really one of the things that Imagine Wake is all about is a community-wide discussion. And to my knowledge, there really hadn't been anything like this before in terms of trying to bring in people from all these different facets. And so I'm kind of excited about it. But enough about me. (laughs) I'm excited. I think it's good that you're doing this. And yeah, let's chat. I always have to start with uh, where are you from because nobody's actually from here, right? I am not originally from here, although the majority of the members of my family are. I have three North Carolina natives uh, in my home, my three children, all in high school here. My wife and I are both from southwestern Pennsylvania. I've been here a little over a quarter century. Small town in Pennsylvania is where I'm from. It's a little smaller even now as that area is not populated. This area is the opposite. It's growing dramatically. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, So how big was it? Uh, it was probably about 4,000. I think at some point, it would it, prior to my birth, I think it was probably close to 5,000. I think it's probably about 3,000 now. You know, I, I was from a town in Oklahoma with almost the exact same population. Mm-hmm. So small town boys. And that's exactly right. I'm a small town PA boy myself. Absolutely. Small town boys found our way to the city. And we are here in the, metro, in the metropolitan area. Exactly <laughs> right. So you uh, grew up in Pennsylvania and then did you leave before college, after college? How did all that work? Yeah, so I went to Penn State for undergraduate in civil engineering, transportation emphasis, as it turns out. Uh, moved to Northern Virginia for a couple of years, worked as a consulting engineer there just outside of D.C. Kept moving a little further south, found myself in Wake County to go to grad school at North Carolina State University here and have a degree from NC State in civil engineering and another one in business, so for two graduate degrees. Perfect. Well, that answers a lot of the question I had about, you know, how does how does a person end up as the executive director of the Regional Transportation Alliance? So it sounds like your your life path really led you that way. It worked out pretty nicely, even though I was in undergrad and graduate school getting ready for a job that didn't exist and still wouldn't exist for several years until I was done. But it worked out very nicely. And again, obviously, two great institutions, Penn State, NC State, happy to be here, growing market, great place to live, as you and I and so many other folks know. Yeah. I, similar for me, I, you know, nobody goes to college saying, I'm going to be a trade association executive. Mm-hmm. You just you just fall into it, you know. Well, that's exactly right. And I know that I'm doing the same thing or very, very similar. RTA, of course, I'm sure it's one of the questions you want to know, of course, is what is RTA? It's a program of the Raleigh Chamber, but it's a business leadership group. It's the voice of the business community on transportation. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, good, a good thing to explain because a lot of people – may hear Regional Transportation Alliance think maybe it's some sort of governmental entity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I even get that about the Home Builders Association, sure. but uh, it is a, uh, I guess, a division of the chamber or a 
portion of the chamber. Yeah, I mean, it's a separately funded, dues-paying membership organization, okay. but we are a program of the chamber. So we are both, you know, we're still part of the chamber, all chamber, but we also represent over 25 chambers of commerce in over 12 counties in Central and Eastern North Carolina on transportation issues. They're all members of ours and others. We have many companies that are members of ours, and so we are both a Raleigh Chamber program and a regional program. Now, that's very interesting because I, I think I kind of had this perception that it was um, a Raleigh Chamber thing, but you actually do work with a bunch of other chambers. Oh, yeah. Well, we are absolutely a Raleigh Chamber program. No question about it. I'm a Raleigh Chamber employee and so on, but our job is to be regional. The focus is regional. Yeah, we represent, again, again all those chambers of commerce, all the chambers in Wake County, Durham County. There's only one, of course, Orange County. Then you could go east to Wilson County, Nash County. Uh, Wayne County, Moore County, up to Person County, is several in Johnston County as well. So we're it's representing all of those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's I mean the, the name Regional Transportation Alliance. Uh, the the boundaries of government are important for policy. Uh, the boundaries of business, of course, go beyond what those are. Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit like um, I I oftentimes explain when people say what's the Home Builders Association. I say it's basically like a chamber of commerce for one industry. Mm-hmm. And I guess the same could be said of the RTA. It's like it's like it's like a chamber of commerce for the transportation industry. Uh, almost not for the industry, but for policy, for transportation policy. policy. Yeah. Our job is not to represent the transportation industry; it's represents the interest of the broader business community on transportation. So a little different. That's a good distinction. Yeah, yeah. We are a business leadership group, regional. Uh, we happen to focus on one particular issue, which is mobility at the regional level, and so that's what we do. Yeah, and and when I was at the recent. Uh, Raleigh Chamber Leadership Conference mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, when people think of transportation, they think about roads and they think about, you know, buses. But yep. it was interesting to hear that, I mean, your your group even gets into, you know, airport issues and things. I mean, all facets of transportation. Yep. I would say all, that's right. All facets of transportation at the what I would call the regional level, the uh, larger level that impact the current and future success of the market. So, Someone's driveway is not going to, I mean, it might be of interest to us, but it's not going to be a focus of what we do. But a policy that can be replicated in a bunch of different places that will make getting around easier, better, more attractive for talent, uh, reduce costs, things like that, allow us to deal with growth issues long term, absolutely can be in our wheelhouse. And the only question is how you prioritize. And that's something we just plan and deal with constantly. Sure. Sounds like a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, it is. And my primary job as executive is to say no. That's my primary job is to go through <laughs> everything. Is to, and the reason is I'm trying to say yes to some really important things. And so some other ones, we either say no or we say a much smaller yes, where we can't spend as much time on those things as we might like. But we do spend enough time on all the key issues, which which will be the freeway system or the multimodal freeway system now, uh, our transit systems in general, which continue to grow. Um, the airport, as you mentioned, and then things such as intersections and streets. And I'm sure we'll get to more of that as the time goes on today. Mm-hmm. So what is your, what, what's your relationship with like the Department of Transportation, for example? Sure. Well, it's very good. I mean, NCDOT, of course, is, in terms of surface transportation in particular, there are roads and streets and so on. They're the ones in charge of those who have responsibility for those. We have had a longstanding relationship with them and their leaders uh, for more than two decades, in fact, RTA has been around for over two decades. Uh, partner very closely with them. Uh, when we have events, they typically work with us on those things. We did a tour to Florida to look at various modes of transportation. The secretary was there. 
We're having a tour in in uh, September, later September 2022, to look at our own transportation market. And several of the folks from DOT, again, will be there. And they're even helping out with uh, some of the train service as well. We have been projects like 540, which are so important, not just your listeners, but this community broadly. Obviously, the Turnpike Authority is part of DOT. We work very closely with them. We've been lead supporters for that project. That's just another example. So very close partners, and we are happy to support them. So you mentioned 540. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, uh, you know, the, the I'm not even sure what to call it, but, I, you know, finishing the loop, of course. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as I understand it, I guess what is would now be the kind of the south south part on the, the west side of the south part is mm-hmm. well underway. Yep. But the east side of the south part is still kind of some, some ways off. Is that? That's, that's generally right, yeah. So if you think about it as a circle or as a loop, we can even think of it as a clock, so to speak. The, oh, that's a good way. Yeah, yeah the, the 540 as a road began its construction on I-40 by the airport at roughly 10 o'clock to 3 to what is now uh, Interstate 87 towards, you know, going Night Hill and beyond. And that's been open for several years. Uh, the western portion, which is a turnpike, uh, from like 10 until I guess that would be 7, uh, open now. And then from 7 to 5, we might say, the southern connection for that, mm-hmm. well underway, was our top priority for many years as an organization. We're very pleased to see that under construction, of course. Uh, that will be open in less than two years. Um, exactly. Oh, that's great. So that's not bad. And that, and that is the I-40 to I-40 connection. That is the one that is so essential for future mobility. That is the one that we had to get right mm-hmm. as a region. Mm-hmm. There have been other markets that have deleted uh, major projects like that. And it's not, it has not and it will not work out for them. It, you cannot delete your major infrastructure projects of that nature, of that regional importance. And we did not. And we are building it. And that is something that generations in the future will benefit from. And I'm very proud of that. And others should be very proud of the work they have done. So we applaud the Turnpike. We applaud NCDOT. We applaud the Metropolitan Planning Association here, Campo, uh, Campo and the elected officials for working on that. And the business community was certainly happy to support that. And, you know, with, with the, the focus on growth with Imagine Wake, mm-hmm. I mean, 540 is just such a visionary example of planning for a future, you know, building a, a massive uh, uh, highway where there's just fields right now. But we know that they're not going to stay fields. And it's, and it's about interconnectedness and everything else. I mean, the, the, the forward-looking vision on that is so impressive. It, again, kudos to the planners, current and past, that have thought about that, put that in place. Uh, you're exactly right. And, and the benefits of our multimodal freeway system are really legion because you've got your commuters. We certainly think of those getting to and from work, but it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. You've got day-to-day commerce. You've got people going back and forth to healthcare, to visit family, to visit friends, to school activities, uh, to church and other religious activities, tourism, longer distance travel. All those sorts of things are integrated and able to be met on a freeway that really is multi-purpose. And it is in many ways the best of all worlds because you have exit ramps, which allow for accessibility, but you have no traffic lights, you have no left turns, so you have high-speed, safe through movements. It is truly going to be a, uh, and I don't use this lightly, a game-changing improvement for Southern Wake County and not just Southern Wake County. Because if you think of places such as Johnston County and Wayne County, Mm -hmm. and then you think of the jobs in Chatham Park, and how this becomes a very doable connection between those places that you couldn't even imagine or conceive of doing now. 
That's, that's right. why this is so important. And that's only a couple of years away. Exactly right. And oh, that's really cool. It, it is awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And then the, the very last part, there's still some some work to be done on that from a planning stage. Until it's under construction, yes. There's yeah. no question about it. We are, as you might expect, the business community would want to see that project accelerated. We do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know DOT is actively working on that. We're pleased about that. Uh, in all candor, the southern one was the most vital because that connected I-40 to I-40. With the I-40 section in eastern Wake County under construction right now, widening to 10 lanes in certain portions, that buys us a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to get that infrastructure in place. We just need to be purposeful and, and get that thing going. Hopefully, in the next year or so, get some movement on that. Maybe sooner. Who knows? You know, the timing, what's the word? I, I guess the, the synchronizing of, of timing as it relates to transportation and housing mm-hmm. is so tricky. Yep. Because... Even as long as it takes to get a neighborhood and houses out of the ground, which get taking longer than ever now, yep. it still doesn't take as long as it takes to get a brand new road built. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, one of our first chairs of the organization here is a gentleman named Bill Shore uh, with GSK. He was retired from them. And he mentioned to me after his time, he said, I finally figured out how we relate to transportation, that the approval process and timeline for drugs are pretty much as the same thing as for transportation <laughs> projects. And he was exactly right. Uh, it does take a long time. And and that's another reason why, in some ways, synchronizing it is it would be ideal. But the main thing you've got to say to yourself as, as a community is where are our vital corridors? How do we protect those? How do we develop them over time? And then how do we put the processes in place to support them and move forward with them? And it's there's planning involved. I think at some level there's as much art and science involved with that. Because if you overbuild a corridor, you've taken money out of essentially out of the private economy and unnecessarily too soon, right? But right. if you but if you underbuild it or you don't preserve it, then you're gonna make congestion, you're gonna make you're gonna reduce opportunity, which is a different way of taking money out of the private economy, if you think about it. So there's an art to doing all that. People and, are either complaining about why did you build this road when nobody's here? Or the other side is, everybody's here. Why didn't you build a road? <laughs> it, 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 it's amazing that, that, that things get done as well as they do. And I think in general, in this market, they have. They've done pretty well. So, You know, it, when you consider the, the growth that we've gone through just in the past 10, 20 years, mm-hmm. which is, you talk to anybody who's lived here for a while, and they'll say, you know, my small town has doubled, or my small town has tripled, or the whole area has doubled. And, right. and it's, it's really quite astounding that we don't have just colossal traffic issues? Uh, in some ways, yes, but in some ways, uh, we are the beneficiary of some fortunate uh, geography and decisions. And so talking a little bit about that, uh, comparing us to, say, an, an area we're familiar with, all of us are familiar with D.C., Northern Virginia, larger area, right, mm-hmm. but also more centralized downtown, and with the interstate system really going right up to the heart of it, almost to get that their beltway and so on, we don't have I-95 in Wake County. Right. We can access it, but it's not here. We do have I-85 in Durham County, but even where it's located, it's really not a commuter corridor per se for us. Most people are going around it for the most part. Um, so it's those sorts of through traffic aren't our concerns. And then when you have Research Triangle Park, in the center of the region, accessible from multiple directions, 
you really have the ultimate going from here to there, many-to-many -many problem, if you will, which is not a problem when it comes to congestion. That actually disperses movement. And my sense is our growth, as you look at it, you have Apple going into the park. Mm-hmm. But then you have VinFast going further south on US-1. You've got the Chatham Park development, obviously Chatham County, Johnston County continuing to grow and doing very well there with their economic development. And all of a sudden, you see different pockets of development growing up all these locations and our through traffic still being dispersed away from us. And we're putting in the infrastructure in place to provide the additional pieces we need. So that, to me, is as much as anything else why we have been successful as a market. We have made important investments. I-40 has been widened in certain places. Uh, 540 has come into being. Uh, Aviation Parkway, Freeway, many other ones like that that's helped. Mm -hmm. But also the way we've developed has also been helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, um, you know, you talk about uh, Washington and Northern Virginia yep. and, and a lot of people go up to our nation's capital and they come back going, man, I wish we had a subway. Wouldn't that be cool? And obviously a, a subway itself is not very practical, but I know there's been a lot of commuter type solutions that we've been exploring. And I wonder if you could kind of talk sure. about some of those. I'd happy to do that. So first things first, uh, I think it's very good when people travel to places like Washington, Atlanta, anywhere around the country and beyond, looking at options and, and, and kind of informing their thinkering, thinking, informing their discovery process and so on and saying, hey, could some of that work here? Or could that inspire us for something else that might be even more appropriate for what we have? That's, that's the right type of conversation. RTA is a business group. We've been doing exactly that, going to places since 2005 when we were in, went to San Diego for the first time and looked at that place. And then we've gone to many other cities around the United States. So... I remind folks that we do have some train service today. So you have five trains a day per direction uh, between Raleigh and Cary, and they are nonstop, and they are 79 miles an hour. And we have four trains a day between Raleigh and Durham, so all but one of those trains. The fifth one in Cary goes south towards Miami. The other one continues to cross to Durham. There'll be another frequency to Durham via Cary again next year, and these are run by NCDOT. Most of it's called the Piedmont Service. We actually have the schedule for that posted at letsgetmoving.org slash train schedule. And you can look at it right now and see what your schedules are. So we do have that. Uh, there have been one study by Go Triangle, actually probably several. The, the latest manifestation has been re is released or at least being talked about in September of this year, looking at potential options to expand that, add more stops, more frequency. There's also something called uh, the S letter S line mm -hmm. that will go from Raleigh to Wake Forest. And we are very supportive of conversations about both of those cores. We think there is an opportunity, since those are owned by the state, both of them in different organizational structures, to expand that service. In addition to that, and really of particular importance given how we're spread out and, all, and the roadway system we have, is something called BRT, Bus Rapid Transit, or we sometimes call it Buses Resembling Trains. You know? <laughs> and so in, in Wake County, uh, city of Raleigh, led by the city of Raleigh, is developing four of those BRT corridors. And one will go under construction less than a year. This is not some far future, well, how will that ever happen? I mean, they've gotten their final agreements for the first quarter from the federal government already. The city has great partners of ours. Uh, very proud of what they're doing, and that'll go into construction. Like I said, no later than less than 12 months from now, which is great. Most of the quarter will have dedicated lanes for the buses. Uh, they will be very frequent service. They will nice stations. It will certainly attract uh, development, which, of course, is good for my housing conversation as you well. You bet. You bet. And so we'll have four of those corridors, plus two extensions, plus another one in Chapel Hill. 
And then RTA is a business group we already worked with NCDOT and with Go Triangle on a study that we called Freeway and Street-Based Transit, or FAST, to say how can we leverage the entire roadway network, or at least the major regional portions of it, to further expand those options. And we, and we expect to follow up on that over the next several months. So, and, and the bus rapid transit is a result of, uh, isn't that the result of a bond that was passed a couple of years ago, or, or at least in a, part? A referendum, yeah. Right. Yeah, BRT, uh, a referendum, 2016 for mm. Wake County. Right. So, uh, 2011 in Durham County, if my memory's right, 2012 in Orange, okay. 2016 in Wake. All the counties voted at different years, not just different days. But that worked out great. Each county voted when they were ready. And unlike many other areas, including some of the cities we've mentioned already, we voted yes the first time. And this is an area with our area has comparatively much lower traffic congestion under any circumstance than, say, Atlanta or Northern Virginia, Austin, places like that. But unlike those places, we do not have a failed transit referendum. All those areas do. So that referendum funds the BRT, or at least a local portion of it. We will help fund the commuter rail. Uh, and it certainly has helped fund some additional bus service we already are enjoying. So the first leg of the BRT is going to be probably up and running within a couple of years? Uh, yeah. I would say, I don't have the exact date, but I would say within three years we should have our first one opening, and then they should just go right afterwards, one after the other. You can think of it almost in a clockwise fashion. It'll mm-hmm. start east, then south, then west, mm-hmm. then north is what it should be. So it should Perfect. just move around there. It's easy way to remember it for Wake County, Center and Raleigh. So for, for people that, that think nothing's been happening, a lot's been happening, and within the next two or three years between that, the next major portion of 540 and the BRT, it's, it's an exciting time right now. Uh, that is a great way of putting it. So uh, we saw improvement on Aviation Parkway just open uh, within about a year ago, improved the interchange there. Uh, Airport Boulevard interchange at I-40 opening up the next year or so. I-40 winding in southeastern Wake County, 540 to your point opening. One that's in Durham County, but very important for Wake County is the 885 connector. It's our region's newest interstate. That was on the books for about five decades. Wow. It's essentially, if you want to think of it, kind of like an eastern beltway for Durham. Mm -hmm. And so for folks who are traveling from if you know where Tramway is, or if you don't, just south of Sanford, the southern end of that, once you're on US-1 freeway there in Sanford, Mm -hmm. you are nonstop north on this corridor. And and before not even touching uh, I-95 until you get to Petersburg, Virginia, where I-85 ends. So it connects US-1, then you would get on 540, then you would get on 885, that piece of it, and then continue north, and it ties directly into 85, just northeast of the of the downtown area of Durham. And 85, of course, goes to Petersburg. It's a nonstop uh, signal-free, and that just opened up this summer. Oh, wow. That's, that is is that is very new. I didn't even know about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, it's, if you look on just a Google map or on the, on the phone, we can look, we'll show it. Yeah. Very cool. Now, let me step back about on the BRT. You said it's a, a buses resembling trains. That's right. So... That's what we're calling it. Yeah, no. But for people that have never seen a BRT, Mm -hmm. describe how it's different than just a bus. Well, sure. I mean, the way BRT is being implemented in in North America and other places, um, you're having a number of things. One is you're having the dedicated lane for at least half the quarter, in many cases more than that. And all of our quarters will be more than half of it will be dedicated lanes. Um, you'll have uh, much more frequent service, and you can do that without BRT, but this is something where you're essentially guaranteeing every 10 or 15 minutes all day you're doing it. 
Uh, right now, all the services are zero fare. RTA's position, we would love to see that continue. Mm-hmm. And other markets where they do charge fares, they still don't charge those fares on the bus. They actually charge it the way you do on a subway station before you board the vehicle. Mm-hmm. The way it doesn't slow people down when you're getting on it. So all of the things that are on there to try to make a higher quality transit experience. So it looks like an option that a lot of us would take, at least for some of our trips. And then that's the measure of success I would describe for BRT is, would you consider using the service, even if you wouldn't use it for work? And there can be many reasons why you wouldn't, just from your schedule or where it's located. That's fine. Would you consider using a BRT or any transit service for at least some of your trips over the course of a week or two? And if you would, then that's that's we've gotten more of a successful service. And that's what we're trying to get to. Now, what cities have you been to that already have a, a BRT up and running? Well, we've been to a few, actually, yes. Yeah. So Northern Virginia actually has one. So okay. it actually parallels part of the subway system there. And that's, that's actually quite nice. Uh, there's one in Eugene, Oregon has one. Okay. Cleveland has one. Um, Seattle has versions of them. Sometimes they call them BRT Lite. But there are different places that are doing it. And again, we will be building a rather extensive system as we go. And ideally, we'll be building even more that's been proposed. We would hope to see this be a truly interconnected BRT system. Wow. Okay. All right. What else, what else am I leaving out from the whole transit discussion in Wake County? Or, I mean, even broader than transit, I mean, well, transportation. Transportation, yeah, overall, I guess I should make, say, yeah. I'll just make sure we're clear on that. Yeah, so there's a few things. So one thing is when it comes to the pandemic that we're just on our way out of here, obviously there was a number of challenging times with that, no question. But there was the benefit that we learned that we could work successfully remotely in a number of capacities. One of the most important transportation improvements, not just in the metro area, but beyond that, is going to be broadband. It's going to be making sure that that infrastructure is in place. So you don't have to travel for certain portions of your trip. We're always going to have to travel. Travels is part of the human condition, and it's what makes life worth living in many ways. But not all trips have to be taken, or at least at a certain even certain time of day, even if you can pick a different time of day. Mm-hmm. That helps. So that's a piece of it that I would say is important. Another piece is that the way we get around, whether it's transit or in our automobiles, there are other ways, including our bicycles. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that e-bikes, the electric bikes, or electric-assisted bikes, uh, have a unique opportunity, particularly in an area like Raleigh, Wake County, the Triangle, because we have some rolling hills where the hills can be a little bit of a challenge. An e-bike can help with that. We have a good greenway system. It can make places that seem too far from a bike no longer be too far. And so what we need to do is continue to match up uh, that sort of infrastructure or those sort of vehicles or ways of getting around with the network to match up with it. And so we're adding more bike lanes. I think you're going to see more of those over time. And I also think that you should. And that's going to help. Would these be like like rental bikes or Privately owned bikes, or yeah, well, we have them now. The like in Raleigh, uh, there's a number of different bike, and not just Raleigh, throughout the market, there are different bike uh, share programs that mm-hmm. you can use, and some of those are e-assisted. I'd use one for the first time, actually, not here. I actually used it in, na- in a national park of all things, in, in the state of Maine. I was at Acadia National Park, and so our family rented some e-bikes, and in many ways, that was the hit for our our trip for the whole thing. But mm-hmm. but it made me realize just how game changing that could be for our. Uh, Non, not really non-motorized because you have motor, but non, um, non-vehicular travel, non-car travel. So I mean, I guess I could see where, you know, as as we're trying to increase transit, whether it be through BRT or other you mm-hmm. know methods, even even enhancing the overall bus system, 
where if you could have where you could bike mm-hmm. to the train and then a place to leave the bike there and you and, know. and pick it up on the other side technically with the, yeah. with, the, with the sharing services that's to me that's one of the ideal scenarios is you you share the bike in essence you're sharing space on a bus or train and mm-hmm. then you share the other bike and then you can leave your your vehicles at home I, I always believe that people will not always believe but I, I would expect that many people will still want to own an automobile even mm-hmm. in, over an extended period of time but we may not need all the automobiles that we have perhaps uh, households will have one fewer than they have today. Well, that itself might be a benefit from the, for a number of reasons, cost included. Now, speaking of automobiles, how much does the charging of electric cars and accessibility to charging stations come into the overall big picture? I think there's a couple different ways. So one is uh, my sense, is, and I don't own an electric automobile right now, but my sense is the place you will charge your electric vehicle most often will be the same place you charge your cell phone, which is at home. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most likely place to do it. It's the easiest place and so on. But for, they call it like range anxiety, I think it yep. is, yep. trying to get across yep. if you're doing longer distance trips. Having those in place on our major longer distance quarters is likely going to be helpful for places like that. And we're going to have to just incorporate the fact that it just takes longer to charge unless unless there's new technology. And I've heard that folks are researching being able to use the frame of the automobile as a way for the to, to capture some of the energy as well. So that could be game changing too. Another thing that you may have been getting at is, well, how does that work for funding transportation if people aren't buying? Because obviously electric vehicles or users of those do not pay motor fuels taxes because you don't purchase any motor fuel. And so they don't pay gas. Um, we have had a view for a number of years that, that there should be what we call an access user fee, access user fee, or even a vehicle registration-based fee. So what you would do is like we all have to register our vehicles every year with the state, with the DMV. What you would do is you'd pay a larger fee, and you may be able to pay that monthly or quarterly, what have you, as an addition to your vehicle registration fee. But then you wouldn't pay motor fuels taxes, and you would just simply set the rate of that additional fee equal to what the average person uses for motor fuels taxes, and you can calculate that by the average fuel efficiency for a vehicle and average miles they drive, set it set it equal to that, and we could pay that. And then it really wouldn't matter whether you're driving electric vehicles, hybrid, hydrogen, gasoline, it wouldn't make any difference. We would all pay one access fee. What if, um, I mean, we have to have our cars inspected every year, mm-hmm. right? And so couldn't they just... Do it based on our own individual mileage. I mean, you th- could. that could be checked at the time of inspection mm-hmm. and then maybe paid over 12-month period or whatever. Absolutely. And, th- and that would also be another way you could go about it. And I think several states are looking at that. One, one thing we've thought about with uh, the mileage, because that's called a, a vehicle miles travel base fee, which is also quite reasonable, is that if you think about it, the, the state has to make the entire road system available to you, mm-hmm. even if you don't drive very much. Right. They're still required to do that. It's kind of like if you think about the cell phones that we have in front of us right now. Even if we don't use very many, very many minutes per month, they don't give us a discount that month, or nor do they charge us more the next month. They're right. charging us one price for that. Right. Because essentially what you're paying for is access to a reliable network. So this okay. would be using that model. But you could do it from a mileage piece. And the advantage for that, particularly for people who don't drive very much, they might like that method better, which would certainly be reasonable. Uh, one one other thing to think about is if we do have another pandemic or some other economic downturn, we tend to travel not very much, yeah. and then the mileage will drop again. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And so there are challenges with that. That's yeah. why uh, the access fee to us is a, it's it may be a, a simple approach, but sometimes simple is a good way of going about things. Yeah, so. I was just thinking of it in terms of that would be more more in line with the way it's done now. That you, Absolutely, you pay based on how much gas you buy, but. Mm-hmm. 
they, they, they make a good point. Yeah, I, I guess you have your job for a reason. Well, both both options are quite reasonable, and we might end up with a combination of the two, where you might have people who don't drive very much say, I'd rather do the mileage, and everybody else pays the other, or some other combination. We'll see how the conversation goes. So, But there definitely has to be a conversation, because uh, you can't throw a rock without hitting an electric car right now, although that's vandalism, but you get the idea. Yeah, well, yeah we don't do that, but, uh, but your point is well taken, that uh, we have every year... Uh, you can see the writing on the wall that the funding system isn't working. Now, but I will say this, today, every electric vehicle is paying that sort of fee that I described to you. It's a little lower than what we might think it should be. But right now, if you own an electric vehicle, you are paying a fee in lieu, an electric vehicle fee. It's set at a particular rate, which is actually lower than what the average user of the highway system today pays in their motor fuels taxes. So we will simply want to take that existing fee they're paying and equalize it, make it so it's equal to what the average person would be paying, and then simply charge everybody else that fee. And then and then the, uh, and the Department of Transportation has a more predictable funding base. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is a huge benefit for the department. Uh, it makes it a lot easier when you know that. And then, of course, it simply grows as the population grows, the population of vehicle grows. It's a lot easier to plan. You have a much broader mm-hmm. base of it. It's very good. Yeah, so what we're talking about is using a system that's already in place. The EV fees that we're talking about, they exist now. All we're saying is make it equal, make set that rate equal to what the average person or the average vehicle is paying in fuel taxes and apply that not just EVs but everybody. That's yeah. really the whole proposal. All right. Makes sense. So different direction. Yeah. Um, the airport. Yeah. And I've known you for a number of years now. And I guess I just, I didn't until recently realize how much you were involved in, in airport issues. And I also didn't realize until I saw the discussion at the, the Raleigh uh, conference, uh, uh, chamber conference, just how much need there is there now. I knew that there had been quite a bit of expansion in the yep. not distant past. Yep. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're done. Not at all. In fact, we're never done. When it right. comes to a growing area, you're never done. Or to put it more broadly, and you heard this from some of our prior, you're some of your prior uh, podcast members, and so on. You can either progress or regress, right? Right, Ingress, right. So to speak, growth challenges are definitely challenging, but they are the challenge that you want because it's clear to you what it is. Yes. And you know what and you know what the consequences are because the consequences of lack of growth uh, are not just challenging. In many cases they're absolutely devastating and they have consequences far reaching. So, but to the airport specifically, I would begin by saying this, as I've reflected on our time, RTA's time, the business community's time with the airport and our partnership with them and we are very close partners with them. My sense of it is there are really four types of airports or categories of airports in this country. There are very large you know, the hub airports. There are some we might call medium hub airports in fast-growing or not-so-fast-growing areas. And then there are your smaller airports. And it turns out the three of those four generally do not have a business model problem with their airport. Only one of the four does. We happen to be one of those four. So the smaller airports... Uh, get massive subsidies from all the other airports. And that's in place so the small airports can remain part of the national aviation system. And so it spreads the, it spreads the resources around. The very large hub airports receive resources or funding from the airlines themselves because they want their hubs to continue to be successful and they invest in it. So then you're left with the medium hub airports. And I would describe those as two categories. You're in a fast-growing area or it's not so fast. If you're not so fast, you're bringing money in from your passenger facility charges, but your infrastructure needs aren't growing so quickly because your market isn't that fast-growing. So you Mm -hmm. can keep up with it. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a very fast-growing airport, a a very fast-growing region and therefore a fast-growing airport, and you're not a hub, 
and you're not very small by definition, so you're not getting subsidies, you're in this weird hole of funding where we have these growth com- growth needs, growth challenges, infrastructure needs, and at some point the growth just can't pay for itself. For many years that was not an issue here, but at some point you need to build more infrastructure, you need to lengthen the runway, you need to add more gates, more taxiways, and, there's no- and our passenger facility charges are capped. Federally, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parking is an important source of revenue, and we frankly would like to see them increase that a little bit more because that's something the airport controls over time, and that's a user fee, and that's reasonable. Uh, and we're also asking for the federal government to contribute more to paying for the lengthening and relocation of the runway because this is if there's anything that's a part of our national aviation system at RDU, it would be our primary runway. We'd be we're certainly hoping they will they will contribute more. We are. Uh, cautiously optimistic that that will happen. And uh, lengthening a runway is more than just running out there with a, uh, a cement truck and just pouring a bunch of stuff on the ground. I mean, that's a yeah. Well, it's relocating. It is actually the larger thing. I mean, oh wow. Be, okay. Yeah, it is. It'll be lengthened slightly from what we have today, which will help uh, for certain flights to the West Coast. Uh, but it will be relocated to the West, and that will actually then allow the airport terminal itself to consume some of that space, and then the taxiways will move over in, in that space. So those okay. are significant improvements. Mm-hmm. and and that'll. But again, allowing the runway to move west, allowing the taxiways to move west, allows these terminal arms, if you will, to be built on the side, which allows for growth that we need. And so at some point, there's only so many ways you can do it. This is the pathway that uh, is going to allow this area to function as an, as an aviation uh, center, so to speak, for this region uh, for decades to come. This is uh, expensive stuff we're talking about. Yeah, but it's also expensive not to do it. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's and, true. And we have to, you have to put the infrastructure in place at the right time. RDU has put together a good uh, infrastructure plan. I think it's called like Vision 2040. And and this is essentially a scalable way of building into those pieces, uh, both air side and what they're called air side and land side components. And we're pleased to support the effort and pleased to support RDU's efforts. Um, I will mention this. It'd be remiss if I didn't do this. The state of North Carolina is contributing significantly to the success, not just RDU, but other airports in our state. I think we are either the largest, maybe second to Florida or something like that in terms of the investments by our state in our aviation system, which is great. So That we is great. Are, we have a good benefit from that. Yeah. Um, but we're hoping for some federal funding or so hoping for additional uh, investments by our airport itself through the fees they control. And then perhaps looking at what our local uh, local community can, can look at and further investment as well. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exciting stuff. I mean, it seems like we hear at least once a month or so about a new, uh, mm-hmm. a new, a new uh, city opened up for direct flights or doing right. things like this. So, Well, the, the market is successful. The market is growing. We would like it to continue to be successful. The airport's part of a quality of life. It's also part of quality of commerce as we want to make sure we can attract the jobs that we want to attract mm-hmm. um, for all the people that are here, want to move here as well. And the airport's a critical part of that. And airports are uh, – once you have an airport, we want to preserve it. We <laughs> want it to expand successfully because you can't just easily build another airport. So Yeah. Well, and as we, we talk about the – the numbers of population growth here. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it has to keep up. Yep. It has to keep up. It's it's not changing anytime soon, and that's not a bad thing. No, so. absolutely. All right. So what um, what have I not asked you about that you think would be a great thing to mention? Well, we've talked about a lot of areas. Yeah. And so I would say, uh, I would simply say this. The business community is 
actively focused on this issue. We Right now, when you think about some other cities to our south and north, and you just say the name of the city or the region, the first word you think of for, the, for a lot of those places is traffic. Yeah. That's not the case right now when mm. you say Raleigh or Raleigh and Durham or the Research Triangle. We'd like to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, just making sure that the options are in place. We need to get more of them, and we're making those investments with our local uh, sales tax investments. Uh, our multimodal freeway system, our airport, and, and improvements at our streets and intersections as well for all modes of travel to make sure that it's a safe and vibrant uh, experience for everyone. Continuing to do that so traffic is is an interesting point of conversation for rush hour, but it's not something that's so pervasive that it becomes a defining feature of a market. Right. That is, above all else, what we're trying to do because that allows us to attract talent, retain talent, and also retain the people that are important to us throughout our lives. And so they'll say, that's one thing I love about our market, quality of life, and a clear quality of life element is, can I get around? Do I want to get around in that area? And so we're trying to do that. Um, The other thing I'd say is, I have a saying at the end of every annual meeting, and I'll say it again here, and that is, you really should never be amazed at how long transportation projects take. You should be amazed that anything ever gets built to begin with. And I say that because when you think of the American experiment and the American Republic and all the stakeholders we have, it's designed for slow movement and consensus. It's not designed the way, let's say, some other nations in the world might be, where it might be easier in other places to put infrastructure in place. Mm-hmm. So it does take a long time, and whether it's economic changes or elections bringing new views of what should be done, in many ways it is amazing that things can get done. That having been said, the business community works hand-in-hand with our partners, our elected officials, multiple jurisdictions, multiple parties, doesn't make a difference. We want to make sure that the right pieces are in place, and we've got some very thoughtful people that we work very closely with and have for more than two decades, and we're proud to continue to do that. Excellent. Very good. Well, I have really enjoyed this discussion. Thank you for taking some time for us today. The uh, Your website is? Let'sgetmoving.org. Let'sgetmoving.org. Uh, be sure and check that out. And so that will wrap up this episode of the Imagine Wake podcast. Uh, very much uh, thanks to Joe Malazzo of the Regional Transportation Alliance. And uh, this is Paul Kane wrapping up this episode. If you like what you hear, be sure and, and share this with others. And we've got some other great episodes coming up soon. And if you didn't catch some of the earlier ones, you can search some of the earlier episodes and hear some of the other great conversations we've had. So thanks for joining us, and we are done. Thank you.